0: All right, let me welcome onto the show Professor Anthony van Niekerk, who is a professor in international relations and security at the Tabombeke African School of Public and International Affairs. Uh, Good morning, Prof. Thank you so much for making time to be in conversation with us today.
1: Yes, good morning. It's a pleasure. Thank you.
0: Let's talk about this four-nation tour of Africa that the Russian foreign minister has been on. It's a lot of time, a lot of investment to put into a trip. Why Africa? Why now?
1: (laughs) Uh, These are good questions. Um, And I mean, one can uh, um, give a sort of a standard reply by saying that uh, Russia, like uh, the EU or America or China, or any other country seeks, you know, to advance their own interests uh, bilaterally. So they go on a visit, on a tour, to see what uh, what economic benefits there are for them in a, on another continent. That would be, uh, you know, one, one part of the answer. It's not as innocent as that. <laughs> um, and I do think that we will have to see um, Lavrov's visit to four countries, uh, as a follow-up, couple of years, he visited another four countries in Africa, so that second time around, in a bigger context. Um, and I, I would suggest that uh, we think of this uh, at three levels. The first one is that uh, we know there's a great power rivalry going on globally, following Ukraine, uh, and I do think that Russia is uh, seeking support from countries wherever they can find them. So that's the first level of analysis I think that we can explore a little bit. Um, and then also particularly why why Russia was visiting certain countries and not others. <laughs> and then there's a second level, you know. If we come to Africa itself, I mean, I I believe that there are competing geopolitical spheres of influence uh, in Africa. And we see the EU uh, playing this. Uh, as well as the U.S. and China. Uh, and if you think of North and East Africa, the Arab states are interested, and now Russia as well. So Russia has entered the fray, and they also seek to, to compete for a slice of action in Africa. Africa is a strategic continent for different reasons. And the third level layer of analysis uh, is the one I started with, which is countries do bilateral relations. They, they seek to buy and sell. Uh, and Russia does the same. In fact, uh, uh, I think some of us might know that uh, the biggest arms dealer, the biggest arms sales to Africa comes from Russia. So it has an interest. Uh, we can unpack that arms sales business a little bit in more detail later, Kathy, because Russia is not the only one who's selling arms and weapons. Uh, to Africa. Uh, The Chinese are doing that, and the Americans and the Europeans. As South Africans, we know who sells weapons uh, to Africa. And so on those three levels, I think um, uh, Russia is interested. Uh, This is happening now. This particular visit uh, is happening now because of the war in Ukraine. And and diplomatically and politically, uh, Russia is drumming up support for its position uh, on Ukraine or in its struggle against NATO, if if you wish. And uh, Africa becomes, if we are a little bit cynical... Africa becomes the playing ground for these
0: competing forces mm. I, I, I want to get into the issue of the power relations um, and and really the, the balance of power you know globally and and what mm. Russia would be wanting to accomplish out of this of course, immediately something like south to south relations comes to mind. but before we get into that, um, they visited the, the the foreign minister and his delegation visited Egypt. Congo, Uganda, and Ethiopia. Why these four countries?
1: Yeah, I I, I was scratching my head over Uganda.
2: <laughs> the,
1: the others I think I can understand. So so and they and these countries, the choice of these countries ties up with your question about you know the balance of the forces, if you want, uh, what I call the great power rivalry, the second Cold War. Uh, which is hotting up, actually. And so um, uh, my view of the bigger picture is that uh, there's a, there's a, a contest between NATO, between uh, America and Europe and their allies, um, and Russia, and uh, the, the, the terrain of, of struggle is around Ukraine. Uh, and this is only one step in this uh, evolving new Cold War, uh, because we see China is also um, watching on the sidelines, waiting to see how how this NATO-Russia struggle is playing out and where it can benefit. That is the bigger picture. And so Russia is on the back foot. It's been sanctioned by, uh, by the NATO members, by the Europeans and the Americans, not necessarily uh, other countries, particularly not in the global south. And so that's why it's visiting some countries in Africa, Of course, Lavrov is a very active and uh, experienced uh, foreign minister, a diplomat. Uh, He's been in the game for a long time, so he's very sophisticated, I think. So he goes to Egypt. Egypt is critically important uh, because of its new strategic location uh, in the north of Africa, close to the the Gulf, to the Red Sea, uh, oil routes. Uh, it is a big country in uh, in African terms. It has influence in North Africa. And, of course, um, it's part of the Arab League. And so what the Russians are after there is the Arab League vote in the United Nations. Um, and when Lavrov goes to Ethiopia, he's gone there. And so when he went to Ethiopia, there are two issues there. The one is the, the struggle with Tigray, and Ethiopia is seeking partners. Because they've been isolated or criticised by the by the EU, or by the Europeans and the Americans for uh, for war crimes, etc. So Russia is supportive of uh, the Ethiopian government in that particular struggle. But perhaps more importantly for Russia, um, Ethiopia also hosts the African Union headquarters, and so Russia is really after the African a uh, voting bloc, if you want, in the U.N. And if you put the Arab and the African votes together, uh, then you get uh, almost a majority, I would say, when it comes to the General Assembly voting patterns and maybe putting pressure on the Security Council or the, uni- the United Nations system uh, uh, more broadly. And then maybe two more points. Uh, the Russians wouldn't mind access to the Red Sea either. Uh, <clears throat> and this is uh the critical flow of oil uh is very strategic and so Egypt, Ethiopia, Sudan, these are countries that uh that speak the same strategic language and is attractive to Russia. And then I want to end by saying that um, a couple of years ago Russia <clears throat> or President Putin realized that, you know, in terms of this big um power rivalry, a big struggle, <clears throat> the new Cold War. The EU courts the whole of the African continent and invites all of our leaders, you know, to a big summit. The Americans do the same, uh, and now the Russians, the Chinese do the same, by the way, even the Japanese, uh, because Africa is valuable. Uh, And then now Russia is caught onto this game, and uh, they've invited African presidents to Sochi in 2019, and Lavrov is now preparing the ground for a second round for a second Sochi uh, summit, if you want, between Russia and and Africa. And it's, it's about trade, metals and minerals and arms, but it's also about this enormous struggle between Russia and NATO with China lurking in the background. So mm-hmm. that's the bigger context. Mm.
0: I, I find it peculiar, um, Professor Anthony, that... Russia on the continent, yes, fine, strengthening relations with other partners, perhaps even on the search for for new partners. One country that has been unequivocal in its stance and its support for Russia is South Africa. Um, Why didn't the foreign minister stop by for a visit in this country just to perhaps thank our government for their support or whatever else that is discussed in these <laughs> meetings. <laughs> I know I'm being a little bit facetious, but you get my point. Yeah.
3: No, I do,
1: I do. Kathy, I, must, I ask the same question. Uh, so in, in pondering over this, I was I was playing out the scenario of uh, uh, Foreign Minister Lavrov meeting uh, Minister Naledi Pando on the steps of the Union mm-hmm. building. Uh, with Cyril Ramaphosa, you know, uh, zooming in quickly to greet him because he's running away to the policy conference, you know, <laughs> to do his work there. And I was wondering by myself how, how that plays out. Uh, something else happened earlier. There is a, There was a trade delegation of Russians visiting Sirachopol, um to promote a, a fairly steady bilateral relationship. It's small compared to European or other importers and exporters. But there's a steady flow of and there's an interest by the Russians, of course, in some of the issues uh, that drive our domestic politics. Uh, for example, I haven't touched on food and energy insecurity because of Ukraine, but that's maybe a very big discussion for a later date. Uh, but we have nuclear. Uh, we might uh, reconsider nuclear in our future energy policy, and the Russians are very keen if we take that step. Because I must say quickly, just in a footnote, uh, all bets are off in terms of our energy mix uh, because of the crisis in which we are. And if that nuclear power option comes back, then the Russians are right in front of the, of the queue with the French uh, and the Americans uh, to provide, uh, and the British, I suppose, to provide a nuclear power reactors in case we want to double up on Kuburg. So there is a trade uh, relationship. It's ongoing. Why Lavrov didn't come to South Africa now, I don't quite know. Uh, It's difficult to
4: interpret
0: speaking about the visit and the countries you know he has been to he expressed um what he described as an undisguised attempt uh, of the US and the European satellites um to impose a certain world order on uh, the continent and said that Africa had largely resisted um, you know, that attempt by the U.S. and Europe. So, so does that mean that uh, Russia generally enjoys great support uh, from African countries?
1: Yeah, yeah, no, indeed. I mean, it's it's one of the uh, the scenes, um, the Lavrovian scenes, <laughs> when it comes to relations between Africa and Russia, uh, a, a long-standing ally, a uh, long history uh, which we as africans know know about of support during the liberation struggle uh, the 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 uh, political inclination to be anti-imperialist uh some would say anti-western anti-racist and so on um and that that uh, kind of language rings a bell with with many of the african presidents and and our leadership across the continent um And by the way, the Russians, in a way, compete with the Chinese because the Chinese do the same. They also find Africa very uh, attractive in terms of its own Belt and Road initiative, or they also call it the Silk Road. It touches parts of Africa. And so they say, let's have, we have longstanding relations. Let's continue. We're not criticizing you for your internal systems. We're not saying that you must respect human rights. Uh, let's do business you know use the loan let's talk about um, you know terms um and so and this is a kind of approach that um, i think africans find interesting and perhaps more attractive because europeans have massive developmental aid programs but they're always preconditioned they depend on you know your your system of governance whether you practice good governance accountability respect for the rule of law, human rights, et cetera, et cetera. And Africans look at these European preconditions and they ask themselves, but, I mean, are these people serious? Because they, these <laughs> uh, Europeans who want uh, uh, to engage Africa would at the very same time not blush or think twice um, approaching uh, Middle Eastern countries, recolonizing, using military might, overthrowing dictators, causing chaos in May, and think of Libya as an example, uh, or Syria, uh, or other places. And I, so there's a reluctance amongst some of us to fully uh, embrace the kind of good uh, packages that the Europeans and the Americans offer uh, to us here on the continent, because it comes with strings attached and preconditions. And I think that's why the Russians are maybe uh, uh, an easier customer to deal with. Mm. And let me quickly say, Kathy, one other thing that strikes me now. What is it that African governments want from the Russians or the Chinese or the Europeans? I mean, that's also something we can explore. The Russians seem to say, I can be a security provider. And this is interesting and attractive to countries who are really in trouble in terms of maintaining uh, peace or law and order. And think of the failing states of the, of the C.A.R., the Central African Republic, or Mali, where the French had to run away uh, because fighting terrorism didn't quite work out very well. And the Russians say, I'll sell you arms, weapons, uh, I've got private military, let's make a contract and make a deal, Yes, Wagner. This doesn't always work, as the Mozambicans have discovered. That in Mali and the C.A.R., it appears that there are very strong relations between these military providers of military security, or shall I say regime security, um, and those governments that, uh, that desperately need uh, to stay in power. Um, one can be a little bit cynical on this, because those governments who are readily purchasing Russian arms and make use of the military option... Are not really democracies. Uh, many of them are, are um, soldiers who came to power through coups or authoritarian leaders. I don't know what your view is of President Przewinski. <laughs> He's been in power for 36 years. Yeah. <laughs> but, and when he met Lavrov, he didn't wear his hat, and I was wondering why that was. Um, so democracy is not something that the Russians put on the table when they
0: come and make deals. Mm. You know, and, and, and it points us to, to I think, um, another interesting point, Prof, because th- there has been this attempt to uh, contextualize the the, the 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 war that is taking place between Russia and Ukraine as a moral question and this idea of being on the wrong side of history. Uh, but no matter mm. how it's painted, um, it seems that leaders on the continent are unmoved by this idea of being judged harshly or even wrongly by history.
1: Yeah, or by <laughs> that is a narrative, Cathy, that comes from a particular corner. Mm. Uh, uh, we are told by 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 those who belong to NATO, by the by the, by the Americans and the Europeans and some of their allies, that in this big struggle to reorder, uh, to reshape uh, or determine world order, there's good and bad, there's us and them. In fact, President Biden last year, you might remember, called all democracies to a big summit. It was the summit of the democracies, I think it was called. And I think he might want to do it again, to say that the world is divided between people like us, who practice democracy and capitalism in a certain way, yes, and then the rest. Yes. And and then there are others. Uh, you know, the others, uh, for some reason, belong to the global south or the developing world, if you want. Um, and so so I, I do see a big struggle between three centers of power. It's the Western uh, neoliberal world order, uh, which is very, very powerful, I must say. And, and any African country, including ours, must understand how to fit into this um, dominant uh, world power, uh, or block, if you want. I mean, after all, the EU is our biggest trading partner, and uh, the Americans are not far behind. We can't just ignore them, because ideologically we disagree. And then the second center of power is this attempt, I think it's a short-lived attempt, I'm very cynical now, of the Russians who, and particularly President Putin, who thinks that he can bring back uh, Russian glory or the, the the previous standing in the world of the Soviet Union and feels threatened, you know, and um, unable to respond to the attractiveness of the European Union for many of the satellites, the Soviet satellites in Eastern Europe. So there is a battle, and I think, if you ask me, uh, NATO has decided to, uh, to exhaust Russia in Ukraine. Uh, what I mean by that is, uh, Ukraine has become a proxy, and the Europeans and the Americans are putting every weapon they can find into Ukrainian hands to fight the Russians to degrade their capability and their capacity mm. to be a, world, a world-class a world citizen, uh, because the Russians are seen as threatening, particularly to the Americans.
0: It's become Especially, so much more about just what, you know, started off as as, as that invasion. Uh, Professor Absolutely. Anthony, I'm going to ask you to just hold your thought there. We're going to uh, take the latest news headlines. And then I also see a couple of you calling in. You want to weigh in on this conversation. I'll give you that chance after this. Dineo is standing by with your headlines.
3: on SAFM. All
0: right, before I take our callers, I just want to give uh, Professor Anthony a chance to, to conclude that thought. Uh, we're talking about uh, Russia's tour of of Africa and all of the different uh, dynamics that are at play here when you see a visit of this nature. And, and Professor Anthony, it's just the point that you're making about how um, this has become so much bigger than just uh, the the Russian in- invasion of Ukraine.
1: I, was, I think we were busy talking about that point. So indeed, I, I view the Ukraine in a bigger uh, perspective, which is really a struggle between uh, and NATO NATO. and uh, and its allies uh, fighting Russia, Um, you know, if I can be facetious, putting Russia back into its place. uh, The Americans are very dismissive of Russia, although they do fear it as well because Russia has cybersecurity and nuclear war capabilities. Uh, But they say, you know, it's a petro state. It it makes nothing. It just exports oil and gas, and it's it's a threat. And Putin is on this romantic you know, tip, that he wants to recover former glory. Let's just, you know, put them back in the box where they belong. And it's, it's, uh, it's not a nice way to say, because the way that it's happening is very violent. Uh, and, uh, and others are suffering because of this particular strategic approach of the Americans who do not want to see its interests being threatened by anybody in Asia or in Europe. And so they take action, and and we understand aggressive um, American foreign policy behavior. We've seen it before. Mm -hmm. But I want to say maybe my last sentence on this is um, uh, nature's interest is this is only a a, a medium-term project uh, to rebalance, to put Russia back where it belongs, which is a minor player, and it has gas and oil and nothing else to offer because the real threat for the Americans and the Europeans, I suppose, uh, is the rising imperial power in the East, which is uh, China. And how do you make peace with China? The, Russian, the Americans have decided that it's, it's a strategic competitor. It's also an enemy. And so its longer-term objective is to have this contest between NATO or America, if you want, the world superpower, and, which is a declining power versus the rising power, which is in the east, which is the DRC, uh, which is the PRC, sorry. And in all of this, um, uh, bigger sort of um, great power rivalry sits the continent of Africa. And I think um, an interesting way of thinking about our future is in 20 or 30 years from now, Africa will have an enormous population, youthful, vibrant, and if we can get our, our ducks in a row educated and powerful, this is the vision of the AES 2063 and a key player in international relations. Because think of the untapped potential that Africa has. And that is why we're attracted to both the East and the West.
0: Well, it makes complete sense, uh, Prof, when you put it that way. Let me go to Ruby in
2: Middleburg. Good morning, Ruby. Yeah, hello, Kathy and Prof, morning. Yeah, you can hear me?
0: Loud and clear, Ruby.
2: Yeah, just a quick, short comment. I remember Prof was commenting on, scratching his head of why Uganda included. And I was just thinking, I'm, I'm recalling from history that uh, is the source of denial not there in Uganda? And perhaps that's a strategic uh, positioning for Russia. I just want to hear what Prof has to say. Secondly, 1948. You remember when they were looking for land where to set up the Jewish state for the, you know, well, Jews. You know, Uganda was considered to be one of the countries where they would settle the Jews. So I was just interested to know would he, you know, perhaps, you know, I don't know if I'm reading anything into it, but I'm just wondering Mm. what informed that 1948 decision when they first considered Uganda as a possible place to settle the Jewish nation. What was the attraction in Uganda? And then now I'm thinking it's the source of the Nile, and the Nile flows all the way across, makes its way to Egypt. Would that not be a strategic consideration? Prof? All
0: right, Ruby, thanks for that. Prof?
2: Yeah, yeah, I think uh, Ruby's
1: got a point. Uh, I don't know much about the Jewish uh, question. <laughs> Let me steer clear of that one. But indeed, um, uh, there's this um, huge problem uh, with the countries that use the waters of the Nile: uh, Egypt, Ethiopia, uh, Sudan, Uganda, and it's a, it's a. So it's that uh, great Ethiopian Renaissance Dam uh, that's being built and which countries are not in agreement over how to distribute, you know, the, the value, the, the use of the water. And it's 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 actually a scandal, Cathy, that uh, as Africans we are unable to settle this particular conflict. It's being discussed in Germany and other places in Europe, and other mediators are stepping in to deal mm-hmm. with this. Um, so there might be some strategic value for Russia to say to Uganda that we're in support of your own interests in this water politics. But I think I will shift the focus a little bit um, uh, away from the Nile and the water and say that uh, Uganda sits in East Africa, and the Horn of Africa is um, a violent place, unsettled, uh, not very democratic, but strategically very important. Just imagine in your mind's eye where Djibouti sits. It's hardly a country. It's a military warehouse. The Americans, the Europeans, the Chinese uh, all have a military bases in Djibouti. And why is this? And Djibouti is rich because it's, you know, hiring out its land for, for these militaries to have their bases. Why is that? It's because of the strategic positioning of the Horn of Africa, where oil and ships flow from the Middle East around Africa to service all sorts of clients. And so Russia would mm-hmm. be very interested in playing that Horn of Africa game because, remember, uh, in the Ukraine war, it also wants to, uh, to be sec- its, its fleet of ships to be secure to move grain, for example. Uh, oh, yes, and that's another thing that you and I forgot about in our conversation. The other reason that Lavrov is here is exactly to say to Africans, I haven't, we haven't forgotten about you because we will negotiate a deal and the grain that Ukraine produces and sunflower oil will make sure that you're first in the queue to get, to get uh, uh, the reserves. And in fact, I must say that some countries in, uh, in, uh, in the Horn of Africa and North Africa, um, uh, Somalia, for example, is completely dependent on the exports uh, or their imports of grain from Ukraine. So that's another reason why I is um, in Africa.
0: All right. Well, they must know how much we love our fish and chips. Um, let me go to <laughs> Babi Teng in the Northern Cape. Good morning.
4: Uh, thank you, Professor. My question really is, um, I would like the professor to zoom into areas where America invaded these countries, like Iran, Iraq, as well as Syria, Libya, you, you know, wherever they go, they try to put their own men there. Look what is happening now in Libya, a country which was built by uh, Muammar Gaddafi. And it has got all the, 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 the flashing points that this country is on the right path. Now look in the Ekoa's I- 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 region where France is. France, they are doing as they like. They impose their own governments there. What is the professor saying about this thing? And what about the international courts? America was never tried. Look what is Israel doing now mm. with Palestine. He needs to zoom into this things. So, and Putin, Putin is right to, to go to all these countries and provide security. Because now mm. you can't have a country, you can't have only a, set, a certain section in the whole world their currencies are strong because they manipulate these currencies. Look what they have done with Mugabe. They have left this country, Zimbabwe, to dry up there. And 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 look what is happening now in Zimbabwe. So 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 now you are talking about a, a, a monster which has been doing really nothing. There's nothing that we can write home about America because we've been selling our products to them. They come here and invest. But all those things they go to them again. We need to come and buy them back. So, I, so, I, I so, mean, so, so, so,
0: so, so, Babi, saying just, just be, but just be a bit clearer with me. What exactly is it that you would like to uh, have the professor
4: comment on? A balanced comment, because even uh, uh, though the the, the the West has been investing in Africa, but it's nothing that we can write our Africans forever mm. in worse. Look what France is doing with uh, the, the a yeah. region. Okay, I, I in, like in, to, in, in, that's
0: fine. I'll give I'll give him a chance to do that. But in fairness, for for today's conversation, we're looking specifically at the Russian tour of of Africa. So I don't know. Maybe you might have caught the conversation a little bit okay, later okay. on. Now let me so, uh, in there
4: first. Yeah. a bit. Look what Russia is doing. You you, you can't wish Russia out of the world out of the international community. Russia is right. They need to start thinking about themselves and be, uh, being a superpower that is being perceived to be. They need to go out there and recreate those relationships with these other countries, which would like to be independent in terms of if you if you go against America, they, 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 they've been seeing that they've been taking out these governments that are against them. Thank you very much.
0: All right, all right, Babi Let me go to Ntla in KZN.
3: Hello. Yes, uh, hello, KP. Yes. Yeah, uh, hello to the Prophet. Uh, KB, um yeah, KT, uh, on, 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 on the Russian uh, 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 participation in African affairs, uh, I would go back to the... So the formation of the the, the OEU, uh, where the likes of Kwame Nkrumah even said that uh, we we look neither west nor east, we look forward. Uh, Because Africa, we we, we are friends to ourselves. Uh, The rest of the world, we can be friends to anyone. We don't have to be uh, biased to anyone. Uh, But yes, uh, we do realize that the East uh, has mostly assisted us in in our liberation struggles, but uh, it doesn't mean that we owe them anything. Uh, so they they will never they are not really our permanent uh, friends, and America cannot be our permanent enemy as well. So in that I would say let's go back to the likes of the Kwame Krumahs, as well as the vision of making Africa a great a great country a great continent, the unification and truly unification of Africa for the benefit of of all the African citizens. Right. That's the approach, the strategy that Africa should look to. Not this uh, Mickey Mouse, uh, uh, what is it, uh, African Unity uh, Organization, which is not really doing much to really put Africa on the map and their strategy is really, it, 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 you can't really pinpoint where they're really the moving.
0: All right, Ntangla, out in case let's leave it there. Uh, Professor Anthony, just perhaps your response to our callers and concluding comments.
1: Yeah, sure, Kathy, I, <laughs> I, I wouldn't know where to start. I mean, our our SISM listeners are clearly very knowledgeable and very informed and have strong views, uh, <laughs> which I think is fantastic. Uh, but I, maybe I should um, approach the comments like this uh, by asking what is it in... Uh, what, uh, how, how does Africa benefit from this attention showered on us by, by the Russians, by the Europeans, by the Americans, by the Chinese? Uh, these are, you know, strangers bearing gifts. Do we accept the gifts? Is this good for us? Uh, How do we benefit? And what do we have to give in return? So so let me start by saying that um, it would be a mistake to think that uh, the Russian offer of weapons, private military uh, intervention, the Wagner Group in particular, would be a solution to the problems of insecurity in Central Africa and the Horn of Africa and elsewhere. Uh, That is not true. I, I, I do believe that uh, this is in the pursuit of regime security. So those who have taken power in some of these countries, I've mentioned them before, would be very keen to receive no questions asked, arms and uh, military support from others. And that is the game being played. There's no way that this kind of... uh, Russia cannot be a security provider or a promoter of peace building in Africa. I don't think they have what it takes. Uh, They're simply making money by selling arms. And, of course, they're interested in uh, the minerals and the metals that these countries produce. And we can ask the same – I can make the same critical comment about the role that the Europeans and the Americans play in Africa, in Africa's development. Uh, Let's, you know, let's be clear-eyed about what it is they offer. For example – uh, somebody earlier said, "What do the Americans bring to the table?" Wherever they bring anti-terrorism strategies to the table, the situation worsens. And uh, you don't have to believe me; ask the Nigerians or the Somalis or the Congolese, and how that goes. In fact, uh, you know, AfriCom is spread out throughout Africa, and uh, and and it acts in America's national interests and not in Africa's interests. And so, let me conclude by saying. Whether we go back to the OAU or the AU, I think what we need to do is um, dust off the old concept of non-alignment, modernize it, give it an African flavor, and build that into our foreign policy. And we might as well you know, work with SADC, our region, on, on non-alignment simply means uh, let's pursue our national interests where it suits us and let's have agency voice in international affairs mm. and let us say what is in our interest not in a in a foreign interest and that's one technique or an instrument that we can use to regain a bit of lost ground
0: Professor Anthony Fannika, let me thank you for your time. He's a professor in international relations and security at the Tabumbeki African School of Public and International Affairs. Thoroughly uh, enjoyed that conversation and, of course, looking at all the different uh, dynamics at play when it comes to um, the particular relationships in this instance that Russia is looking to grow and pursue on the continent.